Okay, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Wasn't that great? Oh, my goodness. There's just something about being able to respond to God. Isn't that wonderful? He allows us to do that. <clears throat> it is a privilege being back here with you. How about it? And how fun. I'm so grateful I get to be here and uh, minister with Christy. I, when I ran basketball camps, I used to be able to work with her mom, which was an amazing privilege. And now I get to do it uh, with her. So how fun. How fun. And I can't believe your mom's not here. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad she's not here then. For the record... For the record. All right, so it is my privilege, my honor to be here with you. I'm going to move around a little bit because that helps me see everybody. I am a teacher. Uh, I have been at Clark Summit University for 37 years. I never never know exactly how to take that. (laughs) Everybody's like, ooh. No wonder you look like that. Uh, I did, as Sherry said, I, I've spent uh, actually 21 years, I coached for 20 years and then stepped away in 07 and then I came back as a, uh, just to, as an interim for one year to help fill a hole while they were looking for a replacement. Uh, and God has used that tremendously. God has used athletics in my life uh, and there's certainly nothing, nothing like it. Uh, If you have ever participated in that or, shoot, something else, uh, something where there's intentional purpose and the intensity of athletics, there's nothing like it. (laughs) Am I right? Now you get to sing, Christy. And so when you're singing, you get to emote like that, all right? But... When I get to speak and teach, this is why I'm just giving you a little heads up. I get a little, hmm, sometimes. All right, so in your books, uh, I've asked Sherry to make sure we have the scripture there. Here's the heads up, right? Uh, I hope you didn't come to hear Sherry's latest and greatest because that's not happening. I speak from the word that's the truth. There's only one truth, and that is the truth of the Word of God. And that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to see what God has for us. My understanding is the way the Word is. It is living and powerful. It it never grows old. It never fades. It's never going to be out of style. And you all can come and hear the same thing And God will take what He is doing in your life and that's where He'll touch. Okay, so also one other thing I I really like to say to make sure that as as we get started, I hope you don't come here feeling like you have to get everything today. All right, because God already knows what He brought you here for. And it may be one thing. It may not even be me. It might be a conversation you have in a snack or at lunch. It may be a song. It might be what you just heard. 
don't leave. Man, that's good. I got it. I'm out. Whew. I got out earlier than I thought. Let's go shopping. I just want you to understand, right? There's no pressure here. You don't come. I hope you don't come to an event like this. Oh, I got to get everything and let God, let the Spirit talk to you. He's quite capable. He already has it planned, already written it out. Uh, okay, so we're going to Psalm 27. If you have your Bible with you, open that up. Psalm 27 in this first session. Hey, we talk about living with purpose. You know we all want to do that. Right? We all, in fact, you do it all the time. Have you ever walked into a room and thought, I, I, don't, re I don't remember. Or you start heading a direction and you think, uh, we're, ooh. hey, so what happens? We stop, we turn around, we forget it all together. That is living without purpose. Okay? All right, so let me just be really clear. Let's just set a basic premise today as we talk. Uh, as we talk through living with purpose, let me, I'm going to run on this basic premise. I can't give you purpose. Okay? In fact, my goal today in the things that we're going to talk through and look at, my goal today is, for most of you, is not to give you purpose. Only God gives you purpose he gives you your identity, and it's in that identity that we find purpose. Okay, so, I, and this is very different than our world and our culture's way of thinking. Because your culture, our culture is more about what am I here for? I want to find the right, well, I work in a college, so everybody wants to know what should they be doing when they graduate? That's the big question. We're going to head next semester, and, and all the seniors are going to be wondering, what am I going to, what am I going to do? What am I going to do as I talk to my advisees? So tell me, as we start thinking about classes, what is it that you want to do? And some know, some don't. And that's okay. That's not their purpose. Spoiler alert, you have one purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. Period. End of statement. Okay, now you know that's the big deal. So I want to live with that purpose in mind. How can I do that? We're going to look at three examples today of people and how they have done it, how they've managed to do it. God put it in the Word. First of all, no human being is ever going to do it perfectly. And neither are you. Own it. When you make a mistake, own it. That's wrong. Confess it and turn around and get going in the right direction. Okay, I think... 
Oh, this is a totally different top. I think part of our issue today, right, we don't own the mistakes. We don't own the sin. Or, hey, I just chose wrong. Own it, turn it, and get going. All right, that's not even... All right. All right, so... We too many times make our purpose the thing we do. Perhaps our purpose should be better stated in how we live. Right, so I think when we talk about that phrase, living with purpose, we put an emphasis a lot of times on the purpose part. Hey, you have purpose. If you know Jesus, you have purpose. If you don't know Jesus, we're going to introduce you. But our task is to live in that purpose. Okay, and I want to talk about three, three ways we could do that today. Uh, hey, do you have a happy place? <laughs> I live in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Some of you have no idea where that is. You go to Scranton and just go a little north. You still don't know where that is. It's northeast Pennsylvania. <laughs> Take the northeast extension all the way to the end and wave. I'm right there. I'm in the mountains, of the Poconos, just outside the Poconos. My happy place is the beach. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't get to go very often, uh, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. But I do love the, you know, I, you, you, when you know your happy place, you can see a picture of it. And people can hear you go, huh. <laughs> right? Well, what is a happy place? What's a happy place? A happy place is basically the place you want to be when you don't want to be where you are. Right? That, that's a happy place. Don't confuse it with a happy meal. <laughs> the psalmist David had a happy place. I'm sure of it. If you know David, you probably, you might think it was with his sheep. Because they didn't talk back. Maybe it was when he was the conquering hero on the battlefield. Because it's always better when you have control. Maybe you would think it would be with his mighty men because he felt safe and secure. Maybe it was with his favorite wife, though that probably changed regularly. <laughs> it's none of those. Maybe it was sitting on his throne as the king and doing what God had purposed for him to do or spending time with his kids or talking to the prophet Samuel or Nathan. Nope. Nope, and nope. David's happy place was a physical place that represented the fulfillment of everything he needed and all that his soul desired. It was the place where he could be himself, where he was accepted, where he was not in charge, where he was encouraged and part of a group of people that 
loved God. It was refreshing and peaceful and inspiring and a reminder to him of all that he had, all that he knew, all that motivated him to be a better person, a better leader, a better father, a better husband, a better learner. Man, that sounds like a great place, doesn't it? David's one desire was to be in this place. Not just to go there, but to stay there. Doesn't that sound great? Well, I know where it is. I'm going to let David tell us. In Psalm 27, here's what he says. I'm going to read the whole psalm. Okay, so you follow along. I'm going to read the word. Let the word speak. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, your heart, my heart, excuse me, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. The Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, these are your words. It's your very breath, not just a good book. So today, may your spirit take your words to our hearts and help us to hear and see you. And then give us the courage, God, help us to walk and take the steps that you want us to take. In Jesus' name, amen. In this deeply personal psalm, David states his desire. It's for his God and to remain there in his presence. 
well, that's nice and all. It sounds really like a wonderful Christian lofty ideal. But I have to ask the question, why? As king, I'm sure he had a lot of other important things to do. Why did he want this one thing? What drew David to be there and to stay there? I want to suggest that David wanted to be in the house of the Lord because the Lord was there. It wasn't the place. It was what it represented. Who he was, what he was like, what he had done, what he was doing, what he was still going to do. His heart's desire was to be with, see, and hear from God. Stop right there. Can you say that is yours? David said, this is my one desire. David's purpose for being in the tabernacle was worship. To hear what God had done from others as well as himself telling from his own life. I mean, to be honest, I, I kind of look at this uh, uh, when I first read it and I think, David, that's a little overkill. Seriously? You just want to be in church all the time? Many of us have a hard time being in church for an hour. When the service is done, check the box, we're out. Oh, wait, i got to talk to so-and-so. David's not necessarily saying the big deal is being there in the tabernacle, but because of who that place and what that place represents, and perhaps even the perspective that he gains while he's there. The tabernacle, and what David is talking about here, the tabernacle represented God's presence. That's what made it special. Not the new carpet, the window treatments, how big your pulpit is. What made it special was who was there. So what David's referring to here is his need to be in God's presence. Even today, each of us needs to have an awareness, an awareness of and to recognize God's presence with us in the midst of our own circumstances. Here's what I'm hoping that we'll see in this first session. When I understand more of who God is, I understand the importance and the benefits of being in his presence. So let's go back to Psalm 27. We're going to look at four characteristics of David's desire. Four characteristics of his desire that can help me deepen mine. Okay, so just so we're clear, right? Just so we're clear. We're not just looking at David and say, oh, man, David, that's amazing. Wow. I want you to grab something today 
And this may be one thing, one of these might be the one thing God's Spirit wants you to take. Here's what I need. First thing, in the first three verses, David's heart's desire is grounded in someone bigger, someone greater than him. David's heart's desire is grounded in someone bigger, someone greater than him. Now, I'm making a big deal of this because a lot of times we're trying to find something within ourselves to grab onto to make ourselves or to make life worthwhile. David looked outside, not to other people, not to an organization he was a member of, not to something he did, but he grounded himself in the Lord. And you'll notice this is all caps. It is Yahweh. God has no shortage of names. In fact, he's called in the Bible by more than almost a thousand different names. And so whenever one is used here, it's not random. It's not how some of my, when they were writing, it's not how some of my students approach multiple choice questions. Let's see, I haven't used this one in a while. Okay, the words or the names that they use are very, very intentional. God's name tells his character and his nature. This name, the all caps name, this name is his covenant name. In Exodus 3, when God tells Moses, go get my people. And Moses, uh, we'll just really summarize the story, right? Moses says, well, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. God's saying who he is. He's saying the self-existent, eternal, relational, present, unchanging, covenant-keeping God. God meant a lot of things to all kinds of people in that culture. He's saying, God is saying, I am greater than you. I'm unlike you. And, and I think this is really important too because a lot of times in our culture, we're trying to, even in... Uh, Christianity, we're trying to find ways to be more relational with God. And I get that. However, he's not just superhuman. He's not another Marvel character. David's reality in this time when he's writing, we would use these words, conflict, War, danger, life-threatening, lonely. 
probably in a size in a group this size probably safe to say some of you would use some of those same words it's possible to talk about your own situation David's enemies were real people in war but some of our enemies are our thoughts untruths in our culture distractions that we fill our lives with David was surrounded by trouble and so are we perhaps not the same thing but what I'm trying to help us understand is yes this was different sure lots of differences however the concepts that he's Dealing with the concepts he's grabbing onto are going to help us in our situation and in our reality. In this psalm, he begins by stating in these first three verses what he knows. This is what I know to be true. How many times a day do you think you say, I don't know? I mean, whether it's your situation or whether it's someone that you're interacting with, someone asks you a question, I, I, I don't know. And I, I think sometimes we think somehow, somehow that makes us less of a person or it's something we should be ashamed. No, 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 own it. I don't know. But our problem is, not that we don't know, the problem is we stay put there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And we begin to cower, and this becomes our heavy burden. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the results of that test will be. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know what, what God wants me to do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, David is in a situation where he doesn't, he's king for heaven's sakes. He doesn't start with I don't know. He starts with what he does know. And this is where we need to start. What I do know. David chooses to talk about what he does know first. And from there, he sees everything else through that lens. Seeing God as bigger and greater and stronger does not guarantee the hardship will change or get easier or hurt less or resolve or disappear. It just means that my circumstances will not take center stage here. My heart's confidence rests in who God has been, who he is, and who he will be in the midst of the hardship. And now, because of who he is, I can face it without fear. Fear may come. Courage is not the absence of fear. Fear may come. But I will refuse to let it be bigger than God. Someone has said, how do you get rid of fear? Fear something greater. So I want to challenge our thinking. Let's just, in this one area, I'm taking a long time on just that one. 
Uh, let me challenge our thinking very simply in this area uh, in how you view God and how it might show itself. Who is it you are praying to? When David called on the Lord, it was very intentional to him. So when you pray, however you start your prayer, and there are a plethora of ways to do it, whether you say, Heavenly Father, Gracious Lord, Dear Lord, whatever, who is it you're talking to? Do you understand who it is you're talking to? Do you see him as stronger, greater, bigger than your circumstance? What David is saying when he's seeking the Lord, when he's coming to Yahweh, he's saying you are greater. Second thing, David's heart's desire runs deep. First one, see God is greater, stronger. Be grounded in something greater. Second, David's heart's desire runs deep. Verse 4 says this, one thing, one, again, this is the king for heaven's sakes. One thing, he narrowed it down, have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. I don't need to belabor this, but it is worth stating the obvious. David had one thing. I know, duh. One thing. You know, we state the obvious all the time. We do. Walk outside. Oh, the sun's out today. Uh, my neighbor uh, across the street used to have a purple garage door. So anytime somebody would come and visit, they would come to my house. They're parked outside. And usually their car is parked that direction. So they would come... To your neighbor has a purple garage door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's raining. Okay. Why do we state the obvious? Because it affirms its reality to us. That's why we state it. If we don't take the time to acknowledge it, Chances are we might miss it here. I say it to my students all the time. If you don't state the obvious, sometimes you're going to miss the obvious. And many times what we skip over is foundational. We're just moving on to the important parts. No, your foundation is important. We best start there. We should affirm that David has one thing. And that one thing is very countercultural right now. 
David's desire is intentionally set. It's not an assumption. I say that because he's asking and seeking. This is intentional. That is maybe for some of us. Well, yeah, duh. Okay, but not duh. Do you do it? It is singular. It is not multitasking. There is only one ask. One Lord. No others. He is it. Too many times I think this is not me. There's so much going on in life. It seems like my heart has trouble just trying to stay on track. It gets divided, all the things that I have to deal with. And in fact, in, as an example, right, when I'm praying, Dear Father, thank you so much for all you've done, for your grace, the sunshine today. I've got to get a birthday card in the mail, and I can't, for, I can't forget to get the meat out of the freezer. Wait, wait, what was I saying? I'm so grateful for your grace and my friends. And what am I going to have for dinner tonight? I've got to remember to call. Wait, wait, I'm doing it again. Oh, God, I am so sorry. I, I end up separating all the demands from my heart's true desire rather than allowing that desire to help me sort through the demands. Number three, David's heart's desire is a residency. It's not a vacation stop. It's not a timeshare. It's not an open house. David's desire is to dwell the word means to remain. David's heart's desire is a residency. We don't use the word dwell very much today. Although I've seen uh, there's a realty group up in my area that's called dwell. I love that for a realtor. How fun. Great name. But we don't use that word a whole lot. Uh company might come to your house, we might have a guest come, we might say, stay a while, but we do not say dwell. <laughs> David's desire was to stay where he would be aware of God's presence, to be in that place where his works were remembered, where they are told, where they are celebrated. It's a safe place to be when there's trouble and hardship and it seemed like everyone else is against him. Again, I'm reminding us, this is not, the thing is not the place. He's not asking or pursuing a quiet place to forget his troubles, which is how we see it sometimes. We're looking to escape. That's what our happy place is. David's not looking for an escape. He's looking to get centered.
He wanted to stay, to remain, to dwell in that place where he could be confident no matter what. It's, it's not a come and go. When you can make it, open house. I think sometimes we see God's presence as more like an Airbnb. It's kind of like home, maybe nicer. You pay a little bit of money, you go and stay a little bit, someone else cleans it. We're good. But God's presence is a dwelling. Being in God's presence allows Him to do His work in me. If I'm coming and going, that's not going to happen so well. Being in God's presence re results in change in me. That change should be seen out of me. Okay, this is what the New Testament is talking about when he says the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's work in me because I'm being in His presence. He's doing His work and this naturally, His work in me should flow out of me. That's exactly what my life is supposed to be. To remain. Number four. God's presence produces four qualities. This is the tricky way to get more points. Right? Give you four points and the last one has more. Right? God's presence produces in me. So if we look from verses 5 all the way through the psalm, let me kind of pick a few things out here. It produces in me security. Being in God's presence produces security. Verses 5 and 6 say this, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear the confidence of David's words. He doesn't say anything here about his troubles going away. We hear him say this, He will, he will, he will, I will, I will. That's what's in these two verses. God's presence produces security. It also produces praise in me. That's verse 6. David's anticipation of what God would do produces praise. David's understanding of who God is produces praise. Many times we wait to see if God actually does what I'm asking him to do and then we have the praise. That's not how it is in the Psalms. Sometimes 
But the praise is not because God did what I asked him. God checked it off my list. Now I, that's not, that is always a reason to praise. Let me just be clear here. But that's not the only time we praise. That's not the biggest time we praise. Look, God is not a big vending machine for you. If you put enough money in, push the right buttons, and if it still doesn't have it, give it a little jolt, then you get what you want. Oh, praise the Lord, he answered my prayer. And if we do that, we're, we're actually entering into prayer with an assumption that I know what I need. I know what I want. No doubt about that in my mind. But God knows what I need. And being in his presence helps bring some clarity to that. All right, God's presence produces security. It produces praise. Thirdly, uh, it, is a, it produces prayer. In verses 7 through 12, David talks, uh, talks about his prayer and how he's going to pray, that he's going to pray. And his, his prayer has four components. He says in verse 7, hear me. Okay. Hear me. He's asking God. He wants to be heard. This is from his heart. What he's saying is, God, don't just hear my words in uh, biblical listening. Biblical hearing is always attached to doing. You do this. Because you give someone instructions and then they come back and they didn't do what you told them to do. You will say, no, you're not listening. What are you really saying? You're saying you didn't do so he also says to see me. God, see me. Why? Because God's face represents his blessing. I love this and I want us to understand that, that David here is asking, not assuming. Just because God has the power to do whatever Remember, you are asking, not assuming. He also says, help me. Don't leave me hanging. Don't leave me in loneliness. And he says, teach me, lead me. The implication here is that David's going to follow. Don't say, God, lead me. God, will you teach me today? Okay, if he's going to teach you, the implication is you're going to do what he teaches you. It not only leads me to pray, praise, gives me security. Last thing, he gives me perseverance. Being in God's presence produces in me perseverance. Verse 13, I believe that I will look on the goodness of of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait. 
David's confidence is in God's working. He knows he will admire and love seeing what God will do. In the hardship, I must wait. I must have courage in who God is, not just that he will do. Have the confidence and courage in who God is. So David had one desire, to be in God's presence, and so too that should be our heart's desire but I don't need to go to the place where God dwells like he did here. Because now I have God in me. We have, if you have Jesus, you have his spirit. So thankful for that. Having this perspective produces stability. An awareness of God's presence results in my stability. How do we do this? I acknowledge God's greatness. I acknowledge his presence. And I acknowledge my need. I'm a big fan of scripting things. When life is hard, you just don't know what to say. Script it so you don't have to think about it. Maybe for you it would be something like, God, this is hard. Acknowledge it. Own it. But you are greater and I will wait. Well, that seems really obvious, Sherry. Yep, don't skip it. Listen to the truth and David's heart's intention in this psalm. I'm going to condense it. The Lord is. The Lord is. My enemies and adversaries fall. My heart will not fear. I will be confident. One thing I ask, I will seek to dwell, to gaze, to inquire, for he will. He will. He will. So I will worship. I will praise. I cry aloud. I seek. The Lord will. Teach me. Lead me. I believe. I wait. Be strong. Take courage. Wait. Let's pray. God, you are greater, stronger, and you know, and you are with us. But sometimes life is hard. But you are bigger, greater, stronger. You are in me and you are for me. I will believe and I will wait. And I can because of Jesus. And it's in his name, his strong name, we pray and ask for your help. Amen.